You are entering a realm of imagination where dreams are told between the lines of the universe. This is a Midnight Tale podcast. I am your host, Celeste, your guide through this dreamscape. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I can't wait to share with you this new tale today. Today's tale is about Celeste as a courier in a strange new dimension. It's Earth, but this dimension has aliens living on every planet in the solar system. We follow Celeste's adventures as she is an interplanetary courier service woman. The bar was crowded and loud. The band played and entertained all with their lively music. A few couples whirled around on the small dance floor in front of the stage. The women's dresses swayed like colorful bells. The men's coattails flapped and their shirts shimmered and were equally as flashy with their patterns. Everyone's shoes clicked and stomped their way across the worn wooden floors. I sipped my drink slowly as I scanned the room. The dark wood paneling of the room gave it a warm and comfortable feeling. The chandeliers dangling from the copper ceiling gave off a warm yellow light. I could feel eyes on me as people stared and whispered. A few people had wandered over, curious. Some had propositioned their deluded plans, but most asked intuitive questions and marveled at my looks. My long, fiery-tinted ginger hair cascaded down my back in tight ringlets. I straightened the long train of my dark blue dress. As I straightened it, the blue material gently sparkled under the dim lights. I twitched my pointed and furred ginger ears. They perked up, interested at the tall and thin middle-aged man who entered the bar. He had on a nice blue suit with a pearlescent shirt that had pastel flowers embroidered onto it. He wore a couple of thin chain necklaces. He quickly made his way over to the bar. He ordered a drink and as he waited, glanced around the room. He spotted me sitting at the far end of the bar in a small, quieter corner of the bar. I nodded my head slightly in acknowledgement. He smiled and nodded his head back at me. He grabbed his drink and I saw several rings on his tanned fingers. My golden eyes flashed and the slitted pupils focused for a second on a particular bright purple stone. As he approached, I smiled slyly behind my glass before I took another sip. He extended his hand and said, Davian Denson. I grasped his hand firmly and said, Kisana Levine. His eyes looked me once over and he said, this city doesn't often see a Kidian girl such as yourself. I looked at him and smiled and said, it's not often I run across an earthly man such as yourself. I mean that with only the best in mind. He laughed and smoothed back his black hair, which was in a neat low ponytail. He pointed at the stool behind him and asked, May I? I nodded as I took another small sip of my drink. He asked, What travels brought you to a city such as Whitmere, Miss Levine? I answered vaguely. I had the time and I was looking for something different, something interesting that I couldn't find on my own planet, Mr. Denson. I looked pointedly at him. He smiled wide and said, 
Well, I hope I can satisfy any lingering curiosities you may have. I looked at him for a few seconds and said, Perhaps. We'll see. We kept chatting as he bought more and more drinks for me and himself. I was still alert as ever, but I forced myself to act more boisterous, loud, and exaggerated. He spoke mostly about his business and the intricacies of mining. He boasted how he was a strict owner, and how he always kept the miners in line with terrible work rules. He talked about his legal battles and how he was always suing for more property ownership. He became more handsy as time progressed and the drinks flowed, and I tried my best to keep the accosting to a minimum as I tried to talk more with him. On the few occasions that he asked me questions, he sprinkled in rather crude ones that barely veiled their intent and made a few crass jokes that were rarely funny. I can only assume he asked to feel his deviant fantasies about Kitty and women. He even divulged the fact that his favorite hobby was gambling and crushing his opponents, particularly his employees, at bar or card games. About two hours had passed and Mr. Denson was finally drunk. The bar was still loud as ever, but a couple of spots by the bar games had cleared up. I pointed out the openings to Mr. Denson and proclaimed, You must teach me how to play these earth games. They look delightful. Mr. Denson turned around as I pointed to the wooden boards with large light bulbs hung on the wall. I said, that looks like great fun. Mr. Denson said, it surely will be for me as no other man is quite the reveler as I am. He drunkenly laughed loudly and grabbed me by my waist. I shuddered internally, but I did my best to laugh along. He towed me across the room and I supported him as he stumbled slightly towards the game. We reached the wooden board and Mr. Denson straightened up in posture and smoothed out his clothes. He bowed and pointed to the board. He proclaimed, Miss Levine, this new game debuted this year and is all about precision and skill with a dash of luck. This is The Reveler and you are looking at one of the champions of this game. I nodded my head and smiled. Is that so? Well, I'm glad to have a well-studied tutor to teach me. How do you play? He said, the goal is to score as many points as possible with the five darts available. The three rings, as you see, have black spots that you aim to get points and the machine will register it. He tapped at the flip scoreboard on the top of the machine that was right under the name Reveler. Each ring has a circle of lights and each bulb corresponds to one black spot. If you land on a black spot when the light bulb is lit, you will get double the points. As you can see, there are three rings. The outermost ring with eight spots is each worth five points. The middle ring with five spots is each worth 10 points. And the center spot is worth 20 points. He leaned close to me and said, the trick with this game is to hit the center spot when all of the lights on the board flash. If you're able to do that, you quadruple your total points, not just the round points. You should see the men's faces when I make that shot. It's exhilarating. <laughs> he had a wide and cocky grin on his face that irritated me. We played a few rounds and I was surprised at his level of skill while being so drunk. 
he managed to hit the center several times. I showed gradual improvement, and once I hit the center target a handful of times, I turned towards Mr. Denson. I said, I finally got that center shot aimed just right. I smiled slyly and went up to him and grabbed his arm. I remember you told me that you enjoyed the thrill of a gamble. What do you say if we threw together our own bet? Mr. Denson raised his eyebrows in surprise, but quickly smiled slickly. He said, I see that adventurous, troublemaking, Kedian spirit is coming out more. What would you propose our bet consist of? I smiled coyly and said, Well, I had a marvelous time with you. Just three short hours ago, I was introduced to you. And I would like a souvenir to remember. I ran my hand down his arm and I held his hand in mine. I saw these rings and they reminded me of you, full of bold personality. I propose if I win a game of Reveler that I get the purple, blue, and green rings, one for each lovely hour spent together. I tapped on each ring as I said the colors out loud. I continued. If you win, I will humbly attend three engagements of your choosing by your side as your companion. I could feel this hand very low on my back and he stared right into my eyes. I was completely still and stared right back at him and I hoped he would accept the terms. His face broke out into a smile and he started laughing. He clasped my hands and said, fantastic. I would never have come up with such a spectacular set of bet prizes. I am already envisioning us at the conference my company is hosting soon. He quickly gathered up the darts and centered himself in front of the board. He shook his head slightly and turned towards me. I'm sorry, ladies first. I got overzealous in trying to achieve my winning score. I waved him off and I said, please go right ahead. You'll be doing me a favor. He nodded and smiled. He prepared his pose and his face dropped all emotion and became still with concentration. He threw his dart and it landed on a five spot. This didn't faze him. He stayed steady. His next shot landed on a 10 spot. He threw his next dart quickly and it landed on a 10 spot, but it was lit so it earned him 20 points. He quickly threw the dart and it hit center, earning him another 20 points. His score was now 55 points. His body was completely still and I watched intently as he solely focused on the board. Suddenly, his dart was flying towards the board and I saw all the lights were on, but right before the dart hit center, the lights blinked off and began their pattern again. I let out a breath and I realized I had been holding it. I begrudgingly admitted to myself that Mr. Denson was an excellent shot and much better than I expected. A few people drunkenly cheered and congratulated him. Mr. Denson swung around and stumbled as he spun, but his smug look stayed firmly in place. He bowed sarcastically and said, Please, go on. I scrunched my nose slightly and sarcastically smiled back. As I collected the darts off the board, I let a very irritated look flash across my face. I quickly composed myself and stood in front of the board. I let a dart fly. It landed on a 10-point spot. 
I threw another dart and it landed on 10 points again. I was pretty happy with how the scoring was going and kept in mind the 75 I had to beat. I tried for a center shot and I landed on the 20 points. I let a small smile break across my face and I knew I was so close. I tried for the center again and as soon as a dart left my hand, I could feel that it was a bad throw. I saw it sail through the air and it smacked right into an empty spot and fell down. I started grinding my teeth knowing I had screwed up. There was only one way to win and I had to totally concentrate now. I focused my breathing and I tuned into the lights. I had memorized the pattern and I knew when to strike. I spent many hours in the pub this week and had played this game in order to get my skills to a good enough level. I had to just rely on my practice and instinct. I saw the lights slowly blinking on and off as they went around the board, over the middle and left, then over the right and bottom. I stared at the board and it was the only thing in my mind. I let the dart fly and saw the outer ring flash on, then the middle ring flash on, then the inner ring as my dart landed right in the center. I exclaimed, I won! I shot my hands up into the air and then hugged Mr. Tenson. Several people cheered for me as the lights flashed and the board played a victory tune. I said, I have you to thank for this game and a wonderful prize. He looked shocked and slightly annoyed. He said, if that wasn't beginner's luck, I don't know what is. I said, even if it was mostly luck, I still want fair and square. I stuck my hand out and he just stared at it. He grumbled and said, that truly is a load of bull. I turned toward Mr. Tenson and said, where's your sportsmanship? He mumbled under his breath about superior genetics and something about my cat eyes. I said, oh, don't be sour. I truly hope you don't go back on your word. He stared at me and noticed that the people around us were watching him. They had heard our bet, and it was never wise to back out of deals once made, even if made drunk, for then your word and image would be in question. He smiled tensely and pulled the purple, blue, and green rings off his fingers. I smiled widely, and my sharp fangs were on full display as he placed the rings in my hand. I happily and quickly put them on my own fingers. I saw a table with two young ladies who I had noticed had been eyeing Mr. Denson throughout the game. I turned towards him and said, I must head to the laboratory. I started as quickly as possible dragging him over to their table. I'll leave you here with these lovely ladies to make sure you don't topple over while I'm gone. He grumbled and he leaned on his elbows and slumped over the table. Then I lifted his chin up and said, where's the fun in that face? He huffed, but then cracked a small smile. There we go. That's better. Okay, that was a great game. I stuck my hand out and he hesitated as he eyed the rings on my fingers, but just slightly rolled his eyes, but shook my hand. As I made my way to the back of the bar towards the washrooms, I quickly looked back once. Mr. Denson looked a little peeved as he leaned heavily on the tall table. 
but the women at the table were already comforting him and sidled up right next to him, patting him on the back. I smirked and looked forward again. I nodded at the bartender who had served us and tilted my head towards the washrooms. He put down his glasses he was cleaning and left his partner in charge of the bar as he walked around back. I walked into the hallway that held the washrooms and a couple of staffing doors for the bar that led to the back rooms. I turned left and the old bartender stood there by the open door. He had glasses perched on the top of his broad nose and his dark skin shone brightly due to the light layer of sweat. His white shirt and blue vest had gold embroidered dragonflies that still looked pressed and neat even after a long night. He ran a small wet towel over his bald head and beckoned me over. I quickly walked through the doorway and he shut the door. I turned towards the bartender and said, Thanks, Mr. Bartley. I appreciate the help tonight. He nodded his head and patted my shoulder. He said, I'm glad to help, and that I could keep an eye on you, Celeste. I sighed and said, I'm planning on this being the last job of this type. That man was insufferable. I could feel my life ticking away and almost no sum of money is worth subjecting myself to that type of interaction again. Mr. Bartley chuckled and said, he certainly was a bore, but I'm glad that you had an interaction at all. His face grew concerned and he said, Please don't strain yourself so hard, Celeste, because you don't need to burden yourself so heavily. You have friends who will help you, such as I. Have you reconsidered my offer? I gripped his hand tightly and said, It's a burden I couldn't bear to shift to anyone else. I don't want my father's troubles to spread or harm anyone else. Mr. Bartley squeezed my hand and said, That's just it. It was your father's troubles, not your own. If anything, I'm more guilty by association as I was there by your father's side. I should have helped him more. He hung his head and I could see his eyes drift to the past. I reached out and patted his arm and said, The bank doesn't care about fault, and neither do I. When it comes to anything else, it was ultimately my father, and he alone. I gave his hand one final squeeze and let go. I took a step back and stretched my arms. Mr. Bartley looked sad for a second, then said, Well, you earned your rest tonight dealing with a bore like that. You're free to use my office to disassemble your ensemble there. If I don't see you, good night, and I'll stop by tomorrow in the evening. I said, Good night, Mr. Bartley. I turned and headed towards the back of the small kitchen that held Mr. Bartley's office. I opened the door and stepped inside. I flicked on the light and the large bulbs on the fixture glowed and hum. It smelled of whiskey and old cigar smoke. I reached behind the carved wooden desk and pulled out my bag. I carefully removed my cat ears and I sighed with relief as the roaring and clicking of the gear stopped. I took the loops off of each of my ears that kept them in place. I peeled the wig off and I pulled my own hair down out of the small tight bun. My golden brown hair flopped down to my mid-back. I carefully took out the context and blinked rapidly as my eyes slightly adjusted. I popped out the canines that had subtly been wired in place. 
Finally, I gently took off the dress and admired how it sparkled like stars. I gently caressed it and enjoyed the soft material. A memory flashed in my mind of my mother wearing the same dress at home before leaving for the summer harvest ball. Her golden brown hair like mine reached down to her waist. She was positively radiant and full of life. It was one of the last times I saw her so vibrantly before the sickness took hold. I opened my eyes slowly and I carefully placed the dress back into its bag. I tied my hair back with a ribbon and my loose maroon pants billowed around my legs but tapered towards my ankles. I left the pant ties for last as I liked tying the pants up in different ways. I pulled on my white loose button-up shirt and fastened the buttons closed. I pulled on my matching maroon and green vine embroidered vest and buttoned it closed. I pulled on my black boots that didn't go much past the ankle. I decided to shove my pant legs into the boots and did a quick loose tie around each foot to keep the pant legs in and not have them pop out. I laced up my black boots and tightened them well. I grabbed the shoulder holster and draped it over my back. I wrapped my large sash belt around my waist that concealed my other weapons. I reached the largest item in my bag and it was my father's large dark green cape. He had used it in the military before giving it to me. It had sturdy, broad, and stiff shoulders that kept him from sliding around. It had two buttons that kept it closed firmly across the chest. More buttons ran down the front if I needed to close it more. There were two slits that were armholes, with three snaps keeping them closed if I wanted to put my arms through. Embroidered in gold in the front and back was the name of the family business, the Luna Courier Express. The interplanetary courier seal and official symbols were patches that were sewn on underneath the name. I placed my black tricorn hat on my head and straightened my cape. I sighed and pulled out a small mirror from my bag and a small handkerchief. I looked in the mirror and my face was pale and tired looking. I used a handkerchief and some water from my canteen to wipe some of the makeup off my eyes and face. When I was done, I placed everything back in the bag. I carefully took the rings off and placed them into separate cloth bags. I placed them in a hidden pocket inside my bag. I double-checked that I had everything, then headed towards the back door. I exited through the door and into an alley. I had stashed my aviator in order to make an unseen getaway. I pulled off the protective sheet and it gleamed bronze in the pale light from the moon and street lights. It was an older model that was able to seat too, but it didn't fly as high as the newer ones. But that didn't bother me as it meant the lower levels were less congested and I could stay closer to the ground. The pipes and metalwork twisted in and out in an intricate pattern, almost like a maze. I had attached the solar sails and they had automatically retracted at nightfall. I could see them tucked under the overhang that kept them protected from bumps and tearing. When they were fully out, they looked like dragonfly wings. It absorbed the sun's rays and helped to supplement the other energy supplies used to fuel the machine. I opened the trunk and threw my bag inside. I heard a rustle to my left and immediately reached inside my vest pocket for my knife. I quickly slammed the trunk shut. A drunken man came stumbling fast out of the shadows towards me. 
I was annoyed and quickly sidestepped him. As he tried to whirl around to grab me, I spun behind him and kicked him in the back of the knee hard. He buckled immediately and crashed onto his knees hard with a crack. He started wailing and held his leg. I took a step back from him and quickly scanned the area. I could see something glinting softly in the light. I backed up slowly so my back was towards my aviator. I waited a second, then pretended to step back towards the crying man while keeping an eye in the direction I knew someone was hiding. From the opposite side of where the man came from, towards the trunk of my aviator, a small figure rushed towards me. I could see it was just a teenage boy holding a knife and he swung it wildly at me. I immediately jumped back and reached for my metal staff. I pressed the button and shoved it towards his face. It popped open from both sides and locked rigid into place. It smacked him square in the nose and he stumbled backwards. Blood was rushing down his face, but he still held onto the knife. He tried to rush me again, but I was already swinging down on his head. The staff cracked against his skull and sent him tumbling over. He yelled out in pain and dropped his knife while he tried to stop the bleeding and held his head. I quickly kicked the knife away and pulled out my gun. Both men heard the click of my gun and I said, shut up. The older man was still whimpering and held his leg and the boy stared at me with hazy eyes, with blood dripping all over his shirt. I said, get up. The man cried out, my leg, it's broke, my leg. I gestured towards the man and looked at the boy and said, pick him up, drag him, roll him, I don't really care. Just move him towards the street. I knew there was a police station not too far from the bar and the police regularly patrolled the area on horseback to break up drunken brawls or stop idiots from dueling each other. The boy quickly scrambled up and quickly helped the man up on his one good leg. I said, forward, towards the street. They both hobbled and hopped towards the street. They struggled and cursed under their breath. They both began bickering about the failed robbery attempt. We reached the street and I said, turn right. I looked more closely at them as we walked towards the police station. The teenage boy was lanky and tall. He had on a dirty and stained dark blue shirt and brown trousers. His brown shoes were scuffed and super dirty. The man had cleaner clothes on, but not by much. That included a green shirt with a blue overcoat. He had on blue trousers and black shoes. They stumbled down the cobblestone street together. The streetlights illuminated the buildings as we passed. There was a tree planted between each one and the light peeked through the leaves. The street we were walking down was one of my favorites. The street had pretty blossoms in the spring and provided shade in the summer. Most of the buildings were innately decorated and most were brick buildings with stone accents and some fancy window dressings. There were some tall, thin wooden houses and apartments between the businesses down the main street. Even these buildings had decorative wooden trim, each with a different color palette, creating a rainbow of houses that were scattered down the street. Most buildings contained businesses on the ground floor and the houses or living units up on top. This kept the city compact enough to make walking around feasible, or at least until you made it to another business district that was scattered across the city. I liked walking this street as I believed it had the fanciest construction of buildings, and I could appreciate it all without the normal commotion and rush during the day. 
At the end of the street, there were lots of government buildings and other official bodies, such as lawyers' offices. Anybody who was anybody wanted to showcase their status and try to get a vacancy in this street. This did mean that there was more pubs in this area than any other for the businesses and the officials. Once they closed for the day, they all headed to a bar or cafe to wind down. I looked up as I heard the clip-clop of horse hooves on the street. I saw two mounted police officers on horses coming down the street, and they looked curiously over at the three of us. I called out to them and said, Hello, officers. My name is Celeste de Luna. I am a certified interplanetary courier recognized by all the planets in the solar system. I happened to be leaving Bartley's bar down there when these two idiots decided to rob me. I am very tired and I'm quite peeved, so I'm feeling quite vindictive as I did not want my night ending with defending myself from a robbery. Both men have started quivering and whimpering as attacking an interplanetary courier was considered a high offense. They started spurting out excuses saying my hair had blocked their view of my official status. The police officer told him to shut up and asked if I wanted to press charges. I shrugged my shoulders and shook my head. I just wanted to scare them more than anything. I put my gun away as I saw the officer on the brown and white horse had pulled his gun and had it trained on the men. I said, honestly, officers, I don't want to deal with these hooligans ever again. I just want to go home and sleep and have this be the end of it. The lead officer on the white horse chuckled under his breath and said, I understand. I'll take your statement as a regular civilian, and that'll be enough anyway to send these ruffians away for at least a week or two. He faced the two men and said, Say thank you to this lady for being in such a good mood and not throwing you to the max ward with hard labor. They both nodded their heads seriously and mumbled under their breath, thanks. The officer snapped at them and said, Say it with conviction. They both turned to face me and bowed several times, nodding their heads vigorously, saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, loudly over again. The lead officer took my statement and I quickly recounted what happened, trying to speed the process along in order to get back to my aviar as soon as possible. Once the lead officer was satisfied, he asked if I wanted an escort back to my vehicle. I quickly shook my head and said, I really just want to go home without delay. The officer nodded his head, and both of them bid me a good night. I headed straight back to Bartley's bar. As I passed by, I saw Mr. Denson leaving the bar with his arms wrapped around the shoulders of the two women I had plopped him down next to. He was singing and talking their ears off as I passed by quickly. They both seemed to just be putting up with him and were struggling to support him and keep him from falling over. I dipped my head down and had a smile on my face. As I rounded the corner to go back in the alley, I double-checked my surroundings as I headed towards my avior. I heard and saw nothing and gratefully was able to get in without a problem. I locked the doors and I leaned back in my chair and settled in a bit. I turned on my avior and it burst to life. The headlights illuminated down the alley and the engine rattled with life. I turned on the flight engines and quickly lifted into the sky as I navigated between the buildings. I quickly got into the sky and there was hardly a vehicle in sight. As I zoomed across the sky towards my home, I could see the people leaving the bars and walking home. I enjoyed the cloud-free night and I could see many stars. 
I looked over to my right and I could see a streak of light occasionally flash in the distance. It was the interplanetary train that used portals in order to travel quickly between worlds. It was a spectacular feat of engineering and cooperation between the members of the Unified Solar Society. Technology from multiple planets had been used to create the portals. I had been on the train a couple of times with my family, but most often I was with my father. As a family, we had visited all the planets in the USS on family vacations. We enjoyed seeing the vastly different planets, ecosystems, inhabitants, and animals. I remember being mesmerized by everything on a new planet. Seeing all the different trees, flowers, and animals that scurried by. The buildings and technology were so different at each place. Although my least favorite were the really cold planets. Despite being in an insulated building and never stepping foot outside, I never seemed to feel really warm on some of those places. My father had taken me on multiple trips in order to prepare me for the courier business. He showed and introduced me to all the different associates that he had on each planet and how each one had different rules and customs. He used to do interplanetary trips much more often than I do now. He was always away on a trip or had some business. He was more often away than at home and sometimes would be gone for long stretches to do multiple deliveries in one trip as he jumped from one planet to another. Sometimes I feel like he's still on another trip and that he isn't gone. And one day he'll just show up through the front doors again. I sighed and I was glad that in some ways I didn't take as many interplanetary trips anymore and that they were special occasions now. I shook my head and tried to clear my thoughts and focused on landing on the air pad attached to the back of my home. I gently and quietly as I could landed on the metal structure, although I could tell it had rattled a bit. I shut down the system and powered off the avier, and I quickly grabbed my bag and went inside as I could almost feel my bed envelop me. I went down the stairs and quickly checked in on my siblings. The youngest, Carmela, was sound asleep in her bed. I glanced around her room and it was tidy and clean. I remembered her birthday would be coming up soon and I had to get her a gift. She was gonna be 12. It still amazed me just eight years ago I was the same age. For me, it seemed like an eternity ago. I hoped that she didn't feel the same and that I could help her enjoy the rest of her childhood like a slow summer dream. I walked down the hall towards my younger brother's room and I could see the light was still on under the door. He was 17 and he felt completely responsible for us and tried his best. I knocked gently and he whispered, come in. I saw that he was sitting up in bed and reading a book. I asked, Aaron, what are you still doing up? He said, I was just waiting for you to come home. You know it's hard for me. I leaned against the door frame and sighed. I said, I've told you, there's nothing to worry about. I'm always careful. He shook his head and said, you know, that's not what I mean. I was silent for a moment and I said, I know. I glanced around his room and it was filled with family pictures. Some of them were hard to look at as they reminded me of bygone times. I said, Aaron, you just can't let it consume you. Aaron looked over at me with sad eyes and just rolled over in his bed. 
He said goodnight. I looked over at him and I wanted to say more, but I didn't know exactly how to say it or if it would actually make him feel better. I stayed for a moment longer and I said goodnight and headed to bed. I plopped my bag onto the bed and I took out the dress and put it back in my closet. I took out the three rings and stashed away the blue and green rings to sell at a later date. I set aside the purple one on my desk to return to the customer in the morning. I saw the bills and the past due dates on my desk. Many of them were from the bank, about the mortgage and the whole property. My father had left me a mess of finances after he had passed. I was still cleaning up after him even though he had died over a year ago. I stacked the bills together into a new pile on the corner to deal with them later. I quickly changed out of my clothes into my pajamas. I settled into bed and despite all the chaos and the bad memories, I quickly drifted to sleep. I woke up startled by the sound of my alarm trilling loudly in the corner. I moaned and flipped over in bed wishing that morning had not come so quickly. I slowly got out of bed and trudged my way over to the alarm clock and smacked it off. I enjoyed the quiet for a second, but I could hear the rest of the city waking up and hear shouts of merchants and businesses as they communicated up and down the street. The sun was breaking past the mountains and the sky was ablaze with color. I stood there for a couple minutes, just enjoying the sunrise and all of the colors. I wish I could have sat there all day and watched the sun make its way across the sky. That I could rest inside and just enjoy some peace and quiet. After a little while, I could hear Aaron and Carmela talking and rummaging around in the kitchen. I could smell eggs being cooked over the stove top and my stomach grumbled. I put on my slippers and headed out to the kitchen. I saw Aaron cooking eggs at the stove and he grumbled, good morning. His black hair was sticking up everywhere, and his pajamas were very wrinkled. I'm pretty sure he had worn the same ones for the past two weeks now. Carmela greeted me, and she said, good morning. Her brown hair was frizzy and a little tangled. I sat down next to her as she ate a piece of toast. I rubbed my eyes to try to wake up. I asked her if she needed my help at the front desk today. She said, no, I'll be able to handle all of that. I asked her if she had finished her studies and assignments given to her by her tutor. She froze for a second as she tried to come up with something, anything to say. But she just hung her head and said, no. I sighed and I said, come on, you know how important it is for you to finish your studies. Just finish them while you're at the front desk. And if you don't, you can't see your friends until you do. Carmilla looked over at me and said, I really want to go to the new candy shop opening. I said, well, I had hoped you hadn't procrastinated and had finished your studies so you can advance in your education more. If you want to be certified as a courier, you have to study more. She whined and she said, it's all too much. I just want to stay home. I know the certification for a local courier is much lower and I could start here. I could probably pass in a year or two. I raised my hands up and I said, stop. Let's not get this upset so early in the morning. I haven't even had a sip of tea yet. Let's just focus on one thing at a time, such as getting most of your studies done, okay? 
She nodded her head. I'll check it over before you go, and then we'll see about the candy store, okay? Carmela hesitated, but then nodded and said, okay. Aaron came over with two plates of eggs and handed them to us. I went over to the kettle and saw it was hot already. I poured myself a cup of tea and settled down to enjoy breakfast with Carmela and Aaron. We quickly ate because packages were already piled up to be delivered and ready to be picked up. Aaron handled getting the supplies from farmers and bringing them back to the bakeries that we worked with. He also delivered food, miscellaneous mail, and paperwork to residents across the cities. Today, I had to handle the more sensitive paperwork from lawyers and government officials. I was trusted to be fast and discreet. I also was the only one of the three of us who was authorized to do any interplanetary work. Aaron took off before me and Carmela, as the grocery stores and bakeries always wanted their goods as fresh as possible. Also, even though he was younger, he was taller and stronger. I envied his strength sometimes. I quickly got Carmela ready. I brushed her hair and helped quickly explain some concepts to her about her studies. Thankfully, most of it was math, which she was talented at and understood some things better than me. I quickly got ready as well and put on my gray uniform dress. It was light and shorter than most typical dresses, so I could run if I had to. It was nondescript to help me blend in with the crowd and not stand out, so I wouldn't be as easily spotted by any thieves or potential pickpockets. I also had the same embroidered name but in black and the same patches just like my cape. I gathered up my list of today's deliveries, the purple ring, and placed everything in my satchel. I tied on my sun hat under my chin. I quickly checked in on Carmela and made sure to open the curtain to a window between the courier office and the seamstress next door, Miss Haddocks. I waved at Miss Haddocks through the window. She checked in on Carmela for me and ate lunch with her. I dashed upstairs to my aviary, and my first delivery for that day was to Mr. Perez, the owner of the Purple Ring. I flew over to his mansion and landed in front of the tall wrought iron gates. I introduced myself to the guard at the gate, and they quickly let me in. My aviary glided across the ground, and I went around back to where the other vehicles and horses were kept. I parked and entered through the servant's entrance in order to remain discreet. I sat inside the kitchen and marveled how huge it was. The countertops were dark gray and flecked with silver. The cabinets were tall and pure white. Everything was impeccably clean, and there were pastries and fruit on the table. Even in the servant's kitchen, there was a small crystal chandelier hanging above the dark oak wood table. I asked one of the maids to bring Mr. Perez over to me, and that I had retrieved his lost property. She scurried off quickly because most of the staff knew of the huge screw-up Mr. Perez had created because he had sworn them all to secrecy. I quickly grabbed a roll and stuffed a couple of the fruits into my satchel. I munched on it while I waited for Mr. Perez to pick up the ring. The purple ring was his 10th anniversary gift that his wife had given him. And despite how much he hated it, he wore it on a chain to please his wife. However... He had used it as a part of a bet against Mr. Danson. They were playing at Mr. Perez's house and all of the staff had seen or at least heard of the miserable failure of Mr. Perez's card game skills that night. He lost a ton of money, some jewelry and the ring. 
He was easily able to replace the other jewelry, but the purple ring was a very rare gemstone from another planet in a unique silver setting. He claimed to his wife it was being polished right now. If he were to replace it, it would take way too long and she would interrogate him about where it was and then become hysterical if she had found out what had happened. He had paid me top dollar to get the ring back as soon as possible. And I had planned and executed everything within two days. So it was only gone for a total of five. I heard footsteps quickly clicking against the stone floor. Mr. Perez burst through the doors and quickly ran over to me. He was in a complete pastel outfit with a long overcoat that trailed almost to the floor. He had colorful peacocks embroidered all over his overcoat and his white shirt was covered by a huge frilly white scarf. His white socks reached up to his knees and had delicate lace on the top. His shoes were brilliant white with gold buckles on them. His white hair was accentuated with a wig and curled on the top of his head. I'm glad I had finished the pastry before he had come in and I had the ring bag ready in my hands. I handed it to him and he opened it with shaking hands. He took it out and breathed a huge sigh of relief. He looked at me and hugged me tightly and said, thank you, thank you so much, Mr. Luna. I can't express to you how much this has saved me. I shrugged gently out of his embrace and curtsied slightly towards him. I said, I'm glad that I could be of service to you and that everything is to your satisfaction. He quickly nodded his head and said, I am ecstatic with your speed and discreetness for this situation. I said, I'm flattered. If you have any friends, please let them know that they can come to me if they need any related service or typical courier work. He said, exactly, of course. They won't know the details of this particular assignment, of course. But I will definitely recommend you if they have any future needs. He snapped his fingers and a butler rushed forward with a golden box. Mr. Perez opened it and it was full of money. He took out a stack of bills that had already been bundled together. He snapped his fingers again and another butler rushed forward with a beautifully colored envelope. Mr. Perez put the money in the envelope, then handed it to me. He said, this is the rest of the agreed upon payment. And I understand if there was any trouble that there would be an extra charge. I nodded and said, yes, there was a little bit of an issue related to time. It took much longer to get him drunk than I thought it would take. Mr. Perez burst out laughing and wiped his eyes and said, Oh, you poor dear. I can completely understand being compensated for having to deal with such an insufferable man for any period of time. Trust me, I wish I can get away from him, that brute. But unfortunately, we are a bit financially tied up. He is a ruthless businessman, which I appreciate, but he is certainly not a business partner. No fuss, my dear, here. He reached back into the gold box and pulled another bundle the same size as the last. I began to protest, saying that was too much, although secretly inside I was really pleased. He immediately waved away my concerns and he said, Please, accept my generosity. It's one of the only things I have lots of. A maid came over quickly and whispered in his ear. He snapped to attention and said, Okay, my dear, I must take my leave and I will be in contact if I ever need you again. My darling is awake. He quickly clicked off with the rest of his parade of servants. I took my leave and flew around the city making deliveries. 
Most of the deliveries were to pick up and transport sensitive documents from one office to another. I was mostly weaving through horse-drawn carriages and other people. I hustled through the streets as quickly as I could, even if I drew some contemptuous stares as I rushed past people. I had a special delivery that I needed to make at Oberon, the capital city of Mars. I quickly finished my deliveries in the late afternoon. I flew over to the interplanetary train station. Before I left my aviar, I pulled out a fur coat. As I entered the train station, it was full of different people and creatures from other planets. The ceilings were tall and arched, full of exposed hand-carved beams. The tiles on the floor glistened shiny black, and the walls were splashed with colors of different murals that showcased the different places that the train traveled. I wish I could have sat down and stared as they all passed by, wondering what brought all of these people to this point, and also just to see the different creatures that had landed from other planets and parts of the galaxy. I bypassed most of the lines and went to the officials line. I showed my credentialed paperwork and bought a ticket to Oberon. As I walked towards the train, I marveled at its presence. It was gigantic, at least two levels tall for each car. Some of the riders from other planets were extraordinarily tall and had to have open air seating as they needed the extra space. The train was a shiny strip silver as portal traveling tended to strip the paint. The outside was covered with different metal plates, large screws, and bands to reinforce the sections. I wish I could have admired it more, but the wave of people pushed me towards the train quickly and I was barely on time. I placed my satchel and fur coat in the small closet above my seat and locked it closed. These trains were never a second off. I settled into my first class seat that was comfortable and spacious. I fastened the seatbelt around me and clicked it into place. The windows were small and didn't open and were pitch black. A crew member came by and double checked to make sure everyone was strapped in. I heard them all call to each other inside and outside, making sure that everything was running smoothly. I stared at the window waiting. The train was already rumbling, ready to go. I heard the doors slam shut. The train slowly lurched forward and then gained momentum quickly. I could feel myself being pressed into my seat. There were countermeasures for the immense pressure at the speed that we were going, and I felt like a firm bear hug. The train rattled and shook as it gained speed faster and faster. Then the train entered the portal. Outside the window, there were streaks of brilliant colored light passing by, and it sparkled and waved like ribbons in the air. Complete weightlessness enveloped the whole train, and everything lifted into the air. It felt like everything was in a cloud, and everything turned silent, except for a few gasps and laughter from a couple passengers. Then, with a plop, everything crashed back down again, and the train made it through the other side of the portal. The train slowed down and eventually came to a smooth stop. The sun was beginning to rise on Mars as it was already the next day due to the time difference. I pulled on my coat before exiting the train and got off and quickly searched the street for a cab. It was freezing cold. I quickly waved down a carriage that had a huge bird pulling it. It was a red color that matched the dust of Mars and it had black accents speckled through its feathers. 
I stepped inside and it was nicely heated and kept me warm as I rode to Miss Serenity Koyama's house. I looked outside the window and saw red dust devils in the far distance. In the city, small wooden structures and tall metal buildings clashed in the capital city. Tall purple and black trees speckled the landscape, and there were small red shrubs that dotted the place. Large clear panels stretched over the entire city to protect it from dust storms outside, although it always managed to find its way in, and sometimes the streets were dusted in red. The dust storms had been particularly bad this season. There were people, mostly native farmers, who lived outside the city and the protective paneled walls. They could handle the dust and had ways of filtering it out. I arrived shortly to Miss Koyama's house. I asked the carriage to wait for me. I nervously stepped forward through the front gate, which was set in a concrete wall, then walked through the vestibule to the second door. I rang the doorbell to be let in. I was asked to identify myself, and I told them that I was a courier from Whitmere. The door buzzed me open. It led inside to a small courtyard that had soft grass and a few native earth plants. A woman came out of the house and greeted me halfway into the courtyard. She was a petite, older, middle-aged woman, and she was quite beautiful. She wore a long, flowy black skirt that had scarlet butterflies embroidered in it, and her waist was cinched in with a black belt. She also wore a maroon, puffed, long-sleeved shirt. I asked, are you Serenity Koyama? She said, yes. I said, Happy birthday, Serenity. This is from your father. I pulled out a large card from my satchel and handed it to her. She looked shocked and very confused. She said, I don't understand. My father passed away months ago. I thought I got all of his documents and mail already. I said, this isn't his mail. This is yours. I showed her that it was addressed to her from her father. I continued gently. About two years ago, your father came to my courier office. He knew he didn't have much time left, and he gave me a very large stack of cards. His instructions were after his death to deliver a card here every year to you, either until you passed or the letters ran out, which he said if it was the latter, he would be very proud. She let out a tearful laugh. She looked up and asked, Did he say anything else? How did he look? Because I didn't see him during that time. I said, no, he didn't say anything else. He only came in once. But I think that whatever your questions are, are in here. I tapped on the card. I watched her as she walked away and carefully tore open the envelope. She let out a sob as she read the first lines. And I turned to leave to give her some privacy. A tear escaped my own eye, and a wrench of envy and sadness washed over me. She called out, Wait! Where are the rest of the cards? When do I get the next one? I said, Oh, sorry, I forgot that part. I turned to look at her, and I couldn't stop the tears flowing down my own face. He said that you have to be patient, that he wanted to be at your every birthday, even if he physically couldn't be there. I smiled through the tears, and I said, Have a happy birthday, and I'll see you next year.
She sat down on a chair and cried her eyes out. I left through the doors and I got back into the carriage. I was ready to go home. But I looked forward to delivering a letter again to Serenity. Thank you everybody for listening to Midnight Tale Podcast. I am glad that you were all here today to listen to this tale. Please let me know down below what you thought about my adventures as an interplanetary courier. What did you think about the creatures, the planets, and the atmosphere? Let me know your thoughts down below. And if you would like to hear more adventures about Celeste, Thanks again, everybody. This is me, Celeste, signing off. Until again, I'll see you in your dreams.